Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We've entered the time of year where little kids sit down and they, they make their Christmas list, right? They write their Christmas list of Santa Claus. So for fun this morning, I thought we would start by looking at a few of the letters to Santa. I went out online and looked up some letters to Santa. Here's the first one. Dear Santa, how are you? Well, enough chit-chat. Let's get down to business. This year I want, and, and then he gives you a list, I want you to take note of number four, an AK-47 assault rifle. I, I just want to know where this kid lives because I don't want to be anywhere close to him, okay? How about this one? Dear Santa, if you bring presents with batteries, bring batteries. <laughs> it's like, I've had it, man. Come on. Throw some batteries in there. Now, the next two, I got to warn you, are a little dark, okay? And I'm not kidding. These are kind of dark. Um, Jeremy's got some issues. Dear Santa, it has been a week, and I have not heard from you. Where is my gift? This is not funny anymore, Jeremy. And now, I'm telling you, Jeremy's not playing. He ain't playing around, because look, and, and look at the next one. I'm serious. This is pretty dark. Dear Santa, I do not like what that stunt you pulled with my parents. You are on my naughty list now. Be afraid. You look slow and easy to kill. Enjoy your cookies next year because they will be poison. I hope you die. Now, Jeremy needs Jesus <laughs> and counseling is what Jeremy needs. Jeremy, Jeremy needs some vacation Bible school and somebody to hug him, I think, is what Jeremy needs. That's, that's pretty, that's kind of scary. Let's, get, let's make it fun again. Dear Santa Claus, C-L-A-W-S. Uh, I'm going to read this off my notes because I'm not sure I could read that. I'm so sorry of what I did in the past, and thank you for the Christmas letter. I love it. But what I want for Christmas this year is $53 billion. Please write another letter this year. I love you. And then number six, this is my favorite of all of them. Dear Santa, how are you and the reindeer doing? I am doing fine. I want a new football game and a football because my little brother always tries to steal mine. He may look sweet, but he is the devil. <laughs> That's awesome. I also want a remote-controlled truck. Love, Evan. Howdy, P.S. How do you get in my house at Christmas, Christmas time? In this series, we're looking at the gifts that God wants to give us this season, and the gift we're looking at today comes to us through a woman, a young woman named Mary, and uh, she is not unfamiliar to us. This time of year, we always talk about Mother Mary. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 today. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. There's about 12 verses I want us to look at there. I'm going to read them all up front. And uh, I'm not going to, this really isn't what you would call an expository sermon, which is where I read it to you and then we spend time in that the whole time where I'm preaching out of that. I'm going to read it to you at the beginning and then we're going to kind of launch from there, more or less. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Did you know that in this country, every year, four million babies are born? Every year. This is the way it breaks down. This is 11,000 babies a day, 460 babies an hour, eight babies every minute. Now, I, I want you to just think about all of the babies that have ever been born in the world, okay? You're, you were one once upon a time. I want you to think about all the babies that have been born in the world. Now what I want you to do is I want you to think about all of the mothers who have birthed babies. And we have a lot of you in here this morning, and we, we all have a mama who birthed us, right? So I want you to just think about all the mothers that have birthed babies. And I would say, after having you do that, of all the women who have ever given birth, no one, no other woman can claim what Mary can claim. Mary's son was fully human and fully God. Fully human and fully God. This is how Paul said it in Colossians. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. I love that little phrase, all the fullness of God. All the fullness of God in this little baby boy. I have spent my entire adult life pondering the mystery of Christ being fully human and fully God. That is a claim that, and some would argue it's a ridiculous claim, but that's a claim that Christmas makes about Jesus, that he is fully human and fully God. It's a mystery. I can't explain it to you. I believe it. I believe Jesus is fully human and fully God, but I couldn't explain it to you to save me. I've had people say, Brett, can you, can you help me to understand the Trinity? Well, <laughs> I can try. But it's a, you know, there's a, there's a, when you start thinking about God being fully human and fully God, that's, it's hard to wrap your head around that. I believe it, I just can't explain it to you. For just a moment or two, I, I want to focus on the humanity of Jesus. I want to talk about the things that we have in common with Jesus. The first one is this. Jesus was born. Jesus spent nine months in his mama's belly. There is a date on a calendar, probably not December 25th, but there's a date on the calendar that Jesus would look at and he would say, that's my birthday. That's the day I was born. Mary would validate that. She would say, yes, there, there is a day because I had indigestion. I had heartburn. I, I felt that baby kicking in my, and tossing in my womb. So Jesus was born. 
The second thing I'm going to say is going to sound kind of obvious, but bear, bear with me. Jesus also lived. He lived. I know that sounds weird, but we can, we can lose sight of this if we're not careful. The God of the universe ate food. He, he drank water. He laughed and cried. He had friendships. <laughs> sounds kind of crass, but it's, I mean, it's, you need to think about it. He went to the bathroom. He, he had a job. He paid taxes. But then we also know this about Jesus. He died. Jesus also died. His heart stopped beating. His body grew cold. His lungs stopped taking in air. And in that way, we can relate to him as fully human. And yet at the same time, there are some things that we don't have in common with Jesus. And one of those is Jesus existed before his birth. Which means that there was never a time that Jesus, Jesus has never not been, is what I'm trying to say. He's never not been. He's always existed. He existed before time. And when we look into the Christian Bible, the writers understood this. They, they, as they wrote about Jesus, they used language, you know, the, the New Testament, almost all of it's written in Greek, and, and the Greek words that get used, normally the Greek word that you would use for being born is the word genao. Genao, which means to be born. But when they wrote about Jesus, the writers used this little Greek word. It's a little different. The word is genomai. Genomai, which means to, to come into being, which suggests that he was kind of, he was already around and then he, he appeared. Jesus knew this about himself. One day he was standing in front of a crowd and, and he looked at him and he said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. I've always been, I always will be. Jesus is saying, before I was born, I existed. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus existed after his death. And this is another aspect of, of Jesus that we will share with him someday. One day, your lungs will stop breathing. One day, your body, your, your heart will stop beating. It won't beat anymore, you, you know. You, but here's the thing. You're going to live forever because of what Jesus did. And here's the thing we need to remember about Mary. Mary was the only person to see the cradle and the cross of Jesus. Think about that. Joseph was there when Jesus was born, but he wasn't there when Jesus was crucified. The disciples were not there when Jesus was born, but some of them were, were around and they were definitely in the city and saw kind of what was going on in the city uh, when Jesus was crucified. Mary is the only human who can say, I was there and I felt the tender, soft little skin on his fingers and when they crucified him, I also wiped the blood away from those same calloused carpenter's fingers that had been pinned to a, a, a cross. Here's something else about Mary. Mary's the only person in whom Jesus lived both physically and spiritually. For nine months, Jesus lived inside Mary's womb, but he would live inside her spiritually for the rest of her life. So when we take both of those observations about Mary and we say, well, she was there for both the cradle and the cross, and she lived her, she, he lived in her physically and lived in her spiritually, there are two things that we can take away from her life and we can kind of apply those to our own. The first would be her response to the cross. And the second would be her response to the cradle. 
It could be said this way. When Jesus lives in you, joy comes out of you. When Jesus lives in you, joy comes out of you. You can't stop it. Remember that Jesus is not an only child. He had four younger brothers. Um, I, I just wonder if you know Jesus' four younger brothers' names. If I asked you on a quiz, if you, if you knew Jesus' four younger brothers, would you be able to answer that? The names are James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And so you just kind of wonder what it was like for Mary growing, with those boys growing up under her roof. Um, I grew up with a brother and two sisters. I had dinner with my brother the other night, and uh, we sat across the table from one another with his wife reminiscing about the ways we got in trouble when we were little. Um, one of the things I hated was my mom was a fantastic cook, and, and she would cook dinner for us. And a lot of times, you know, mom wasn't real hard on us. She would, a lot of times after dinner, she would clean up after dinner too. You know, we'd get up and go away. And looking back on it, we were just so rude. But um, we were kids. And if she wasn't going to make us do the dishes, we weren't going to volunteer. And so she knew that. So one, once in a while, she would look and she would say, you know, Melissa and Brett, you're going to do the dishes tonight. Oh, man. I don't want to. So this night, she prepares this meal, and, and she looks at us across the table, and she says, you guys are doing the dishes tonight. So my, my older sister, Melissa, is washing the dishes, and I am drying the dishes, which was a really um, laborious, boring task for me until I discovered a new way to dry the plates. And I, I discovered that if you just throw them up in the air and spin them, the centrifugal force forces the water off the plates and they come down drier than when you let go. So, you know, I was, I was like, hey, Missy, watch. And she's like, you better stop. You're going to get in trouble. No, watch this one. You know, and I just kept flipping the plates and the water's just, so I thought it was great. I thought I was a daggone genius until mom came upstairs and saw the ceiling and realized what I had been doing and there were water spots now on the ceiling and I'm throwing up like plates that can fall and break, and she's like, no, 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 no. So I, you know, I got in trouble for that. Um, another time, my sister, I just want to preface this by saying my older sister, she was four years older than me, and she hated my guts. <laughs> she did. She did not like me. She didn't want me around. I showed, you know, she had it all for, to herself for four years, and then I showed up and ruined it all. And I was the boy, and, you know, my dad was so proud to have a boy, and she, was, she did not like me. She, she was not nice at all. So one day, I'm toddler age. And this is back in the day, uh, we lived in a house that had a one floor, and then you went upstairs to like an attic. You, you've seen attics converted into a bedroom. Well, at the end of the house was a window, and that window overlooked the driveway. My mom had been entertaining a, a friend for lunch, and she had walked the friend out to her car, and they were standing out by the car talking. And she's standing right underneath this, this second-story window that has a metal window fan in it. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about the kind you go by today that's half plastic. I'm talking about one that's got a, the power of a jet engine, Metal fan blades, everything in its metal. Metal grate, everything metal. Heavy. And my sister is standing there, about five, six years old. She's standing there with a yardstick in her hand. 
you see where this is going. Not a yardstick the way they give you today. I'm talking about a 1964 thick hardwood yardstick. And she's standing there wondering, I wonder what happens if I feed this yardstick into the window fan with my mother down in below underneath it. And so she sticks it in. It makes a horrible racket. Now, I'm barely old enough to know anything. She sees my mom look up and sees my mom run into the house and she knows she's got to think quick. So she, you know, I'm standing there like, <laughs> and she handed me the yardstick and ran away. Mom comes upstairs and there I stand with the yardstick. What else is mom going to think? And I don't remember the spanking that I got, but I'm told that I was lit up pretty good for that. Um, it would be, my sister would be about 16 or 17 years old before she actually told my parents that it was, it was her that, that stuck the yardstick in the fan. With that in mind, you may have seen this video, I kind of hope you haven't, but, but I wanted to share with you this video this morning. What was this? Did you think this was a good idea? Look at brother's face. Who got the paint out? Brother did. I think back to all this stuff that went on in my house. My dad was a truck driver, so he was on the road all the time. And uh, so mom was both mom and dad, and she had to discipline us, and, and uh, we made messes. We got into trouble. Um, we made her life just horrible sometimes. We let her down. We broke her heart. But, but I know my mother, and I know my mother loves us, and I know that she would do every bit of it over again. I know she would. I, I, I'm sure that every high... Every low, she would sign up for all of it. All of, every victory, every broken heart, she would sign up for all of it all over again. The greatest source of pain and the greatest source of joy. Mary understood that contradiction. And the very moment she is told that she is going to bear a child and he's going to be the savior of the world, she is filled with joy so much so that her heart begins to sing. She she can't contain it. And this, I just want to read one word of what we've come to know as the Magnificat. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. I want you to think about something this morning. I want you to think about the idea that Mary, I want you to think about Mary as she prayed with Jesus. As a little boy think about Mary putting Jesus to bed I don't know if they told stories or you know what that would have looked like but just just imagine her talking to, to Jesus about the former King David or about Moses which would have been names that would have come up in their house and it hits her wait a minute he knows David he knows what David's voice sounds like he knows Moses. He's been around forever. He knows these guys. Listen to this from Max Lucado. 
I have some questions I'd like to ask Mary about what it was like to raise Jesus. Questions like, did you feel awkward teaching him that he created the world? Did he ever try to count the stars and succeed? Mary, did the thought ever occur to you that the God to whom you were praying was asleep under your own roof? Whenever he saw a lamb being led to slaughter, did he act differently? And Mary, did you ever think, that's God eating my soup? We kind of see this dynamic at work in an interaction between Mary and Jesus as a grown man. This is a story that's very familiar to you. John chapter 2, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. This is a typical mother-son interaction that has happened thousands and thousands of times where the mother looks at a son and tells him to do something, and he pushes back, right? That's happened thousands of times, millions of times, where, where a mom has looked at a son and said, hey, I want you to do this, and the son gives a reason why he shouldn't do it. And Mary's telling him to do what to, kind of telling him what to do, and he's pushing back on Mary. And I wonder if Mary didn't give him the look. Did your mom have the look? Mine did. My mom's a good, godly woman, but I'm telling you, and you've probably got a look that you whip out at the right time. When you saw the look, and you realize, mom ain't playing. This is serious time. You've had the look before, right? Your parents have looked at you with the look. Um, here's the funny part. After the look, she turns and she tells the servants, just do whatever he tells you to do. Kind of like, I know he's arguing with me, but he knows better, and he's going to do what I just told him to do. So when he starts talking, you just do what he tells you to do. And can you imagine the pride and the love that Mary felt when Jesus converted that water into wine? Can you imagine how everything in Mary just swelled up with, oh, that's my boy. The same feeling I'm sure she had when, if she ever saw him feed thousands of people or if she ever saw him touch somebody and restore their sight or restore their health to them. I mean, she just had to well up with pride, you know, just this, this sense of, of, oh, look at him. Listen, when Jesus lives in you, joy is going to come out of you. There's a video. Um, you may have seen it. I hope you have not seen this. I saw this and laughed out loud. This is fantastic. I want to show this to you, and then I'll come back and draw some points from it. An angel came to see Mary. She was doing laundry. And then the angel just appeared and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, Mary, you're gonna have, what? I can't, I can't say good. Mary, you're gonna have a baby. I, you're gonna have a baby and you will call him Jesus. And then Mary was like, I'm not gonna have a baby yet. I'm only a teenager, I'm not married. Then the angel Gabriel told Joseph that Mary is not lying. She, you are having a new baby. And so they met up 
they went to Bethlehem, which was Joseph's old town. They ride a donkey. <laughs> I don't a camel. Oh yeah, a camel. She said, this donkey's fast. Well, they tried to go to a hotel and they asked the keeper um, for a place to stay. The keeper said, we have no rooms, literally no rooms. <laughs> so Mary and Joseph walked away sadly, but then he said, the only place in here in Bethlehem that, that you can stay, stay is a staple. And then he just pointed the way they followed. When the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, then they saw angels. The angels said, a new baby is getting born, who is king of the Jews. The angel were singing. And then the shepherd said, I think we should go there and meet him. The second, I think, said, yeah, I agree with you. And the other said, yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes, maybe have to camp out a night. And then the wife then heard about it. And then a star appeared. We should probably follow that star. It's pointing down to the barn. So maybe we should follow it. Maybe. So the wise men went to Jesus. They gave them gifts. A stuffed animal, like a hippo one, to have at home. Some diapers, and some wipes, and some milk, some shoes, some Jordans. Gold, ring, and Latimer. And I don't know how I would survive in that barn. Too stinky, too crowded, and ugh. I think. He probably pooped because the room was very smelly. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's gonna be our best friend. I love you and you're the best baby I ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> the new baby is gonna change the world. When Jesus lives in you, joy comes out of you. Joy is the natural response to Christmas. And it was definitely Mary's response to the cradle, but her response to the cross was quite different. When Jesus lives in you, love comes out of you. I love this church very much. I love the people in it very much. Some of you I've known for a long, long time. Some of you I'm just getting to know, but some of you I've known for years. I've been here over 27 years, and some of you I've known that whole time. And you don't have those deep, rich relationships without just this incredible bond and affection and love. But as much as I love you, I have to say I would not sacrifice my own children for you. I love you. But I have three beautiful kids, and I, I love them more. <laughs> and I just couldn't sacrifice them for you. Mary didn't just share her son with us. She sacrificed him. And I'm pretty sure that on the day of crucifixion, somebody looked at Mary and said, Mary, don't go to that. Don't go to that. You, you, you don't want to see that. Mary, you're going to see things 
you'll never be able to get out of your mind. You'll never be able to unsee what you see on this day. But Mary went and she saw what the Romans did to her son. She heard what the Jews said about her boy. Heartbreaking, yes. But so proud of her son. The pride of a mother. I have one more video that I want you to see this morning. It's of a mom from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, who lost a son tragically at the age of 29. And I want you to hear a mother describe what Jesus being taken away from his mom would mean to her in a similar circumstance. Just check this out. Daniel was born on uh, January 5th, 1988. And it was a cold, it was a cold, it was a cold day. Um, his expected due date was the 18th, but he decided to come on the, f- on the 5th. So at about three o'clock in the morning, everything started happening. It was just, uh, it was just a wonderful thing. You know, seeing him and, and just being amazed at the beauty of seeing that baby that, that, that is part of you. and and feeling so connected and and just loving like you've never loved before. When he was around two, um, his dad and I divorced. With being the two of us in the house, I think he took the father role, you know? Um, And so he was very protective of his mom. I'd had a moment where I was a little depressed in my life and and I would cry. And he said to me one time, Mom, why are you crying? And I said, well, Mommy has a stomachache, because you know, he was a little boy, and you just want to keep him young and, and innocent. As, and, and so he said to me one day, just out of the blue, we're just eating, and he says, you know, Mom, I'm going to pray and ask Jesus to take that stomachache away from you. And that resonates in my life today. In 2015, he had met a really wonderful young lady, and in late July of 2015, they got married. and. One of the wonderful things about it was I got to dance with my son. And it just, I just told him how much I love him. And he told me how much he loved me. And I told him how proud I was, you know. And things really seemed to be falling into place. In March 21st, 2017, my son went to to heaven. It changed my life. It tore me in ways that I just did not ever expect or think because I felt punched in the face, punched in the stomach, knees knocked, like somebody hit a, just hit me with a bat. And I had to deal with that. And I had to come to terms with that. And the same God I talked to when I was five and 13 and 24, and now at the age I am, you're still here. Are you listening to me? You know? Um, I know you love me, and, and I know your shoulders are big enough to hold me. Uh, I need you to hold me now. When you're worshiping God and, and you're just talking to him and loving on him, you say things, and I remember always saying, God, you gave your only son so that my only son could live. And I remember saying that, and I appreciated him for it, but now it meant something totally different. I can live today, and I can breathe again because of what he did. 
And because it's real, and it's true, and you never know how real and how true it is until you're in a situation when you're so close to it that it's all you have, and it's more than enough. We can go through some hard stuff. I, I know for a fact that this season, some of you are going through really, really hard stuff. Um, some of you are dealing with facing the holiday season with, without people that you, you miss. Some of you have gotten news that's not been great. Um, I find myself, I said this a couple weeks ago, but I find myself just praying the prayer, come Lord Jesus, just, I'm tired of watching people I love just suffer, struggle. Just come, let's, come on. But he doesn't. And he tarries for whatever reason. And I know that some of you are going through hard stuff, but listen, when he's in here, love comes out. Love comes out. I'm going to show you a picture. The guy on the left is a guy named Deshaun Watson. I was watching football this week. And I'd heard this story before, but it fit in perfectly with what I was talking about today, so I wanted to use it. Um, Deshaun Watson played in a football game this week, and they were talking about him, and I'd, again, I'd heard this. Uh, Deshaun Watson is a believer in Jesus. He plays for the Houston Texans now. I think he's been with them for a year or two. Uh, one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL, I think. Um, you guys are Colts fans, and so you, you see him twice a year. Really good player. This is when he played for Clemson, but he's a believer in Jesus. He's a pretty strong believer in Jesus. When he was just a little guy, uh, maybe, I don't know, pre-teen, he was this, you know, his mom was a single mom, several kids in the house. Um, they were poor. And that's where the guy on the right comes in. The guy on the right is a guy named Warwick Dunn. Warwick Dunn. And Warwick Dunn was one of my favorite players Coming, I think he played at Florida State, and, and he came out of college and went to pro, and just a great running back. But as good a football player as he was, he was an even better man, uh, is a better man. He's still alive. Uh, Warwick Dunn is a believer in Jesus. And Warwick Dunn, pretty sure, won the Walter Payton Award, which is an award they give away to a guy that's you know, giving and benevolent and, and involved in his community. Pretty sure that Warwick Dunn has won that award, maybe even more than once. But um, Warwick Dunn made it a practice to give houses to single mothers. And when Deshaun Watson was a little guy, he was the recipient. He, his mom and his family was a recipient of one of the homes that Warwick Dunn gave away. And I don't know, maybe, maybe Deshaun Watson grows up and believes in Jesus and is a Christian whether Warwick Dunn gives his mama a house or not. I don't know, maybe he would. But I just cannot get over that in some way you have to believe that Warwick Dunn's faith impacted Deshaun Watson. Now the end of the story is this. I'm watching a game the other night and they tell us during the game Deshaun Watson has now continued that tradition and he's only been in the league a couple of years. 
He is on his 147th house that he has given away to single moms. I don't think that Deshaun Watson is perfect. I'm sure that if you talk to Deshaun, he would say, you know, I, I, get, I don't get it right all the time. I'm not perfect. There's stuff I don't do right. I'm sure if you were to talk to Warwick Dunn and know Warwick Dunn, he falls. He's a human being. He's not perfect. You don't have to be perfect to, to love somebody in God. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to have Jesus in your heart because when you have Jesus in your heart, love comes out. You can't help it. See, when you're close to Christ, when you walk with Jesus, when he's in here, it just comes out. You're going to do things that are going to impact people around you. Rick Warren in his book, Purpose Driven Life, it's one of the top-selling books of all time. I don't know if do any of you know how the book Purpose Driven Life begins. Do you know the first line of the book? It's not about you. A book that starts, it's not about you, is one of the best-selling books of all time. And this is what he says in the book. Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Samson was codependent. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was reluctant. Did I spell Jonah right? Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist was eccentric. Peter was impulsive. Martha worried a lot. Zacchaeus was un unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul had poor health. And Timothy was timid. That is quite a variety of misfits, but God used each of them to deliver his love to the world. He can use you. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all figured out. You may leave here and go, man, Brett, there's just so much. I, I mean, I'm not worthy. I, God can't use someone like me. No, if he's in here, joy will come out. If he's in here, love will come out. We're in a season where things get crazy. People fight with one another. A season that celebrates the birth of Jesus at times will demonstrate anything other than that. But for us, for us, he's in here. Joy and love need to be coming out in large doses out of us over the next several weeks especially, okay? I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and pray. I just want to tell you I'm kind of in a hurry to get out of here this morning, so I won't be able to tarry like I normally do, but um, I got someplace I got to be, but, but just know that I love you. And I pray for you often. Let's, let's pray. Father, we are in a season that can tempt us and tear us apart and make us angry and get us frustrated and make us say and do things we regret later. Father, we're also in a season where people are watching us. I pray, Father, that in this season we really are focused in on what truly is the reason for the season and that Jesus being inside of us makes a difference in the way we treat the people around us. If we're employers, I pray that our employees see a difference. If we are an employee, I pray, pray that we're able to show our employer Jesus. I pray that the world would see joy and love coming out of us because that's what this season is about. 
And Lord, you went to a cross, you beat death, you rose again, you put the Holy Spirit inside of us, and that changes us. It makes us better. On our own, we can't do it. With you, with us, we can do amazing things. I pray, Father, that this week we would be a shining example to the rest of the world what it means to follow Jesus, be loved by him. Thank you, Father, for the way you've provided and given to us, and we at this season just thank you for that little baby. We're so thankful. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.